Well, warm welcome back to this, our sixth and believe it or not, final segment of our Disciplines of Discipleship series. And today we will be focusing on fasting and feasting. And pastors Andy and Sam will once again, I think, share just a lot of personal insights and perspectives that I think have been invaluable. And in fact, we've received quite a bit of feedback that this style and format has, has been working for everyone. So that's very heartening to hear. Um, and before we start, Sam, would you like to just lead us in prayer? Happily. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for these conversations, for the disciplines that we learn from our Lord and Savior Christ. May we put them into practice, grow closer to you, grow closer to one another, and grow to be more like our Lord and Savior. And so, God, we pray all these things, asking for your wisdom and your guidance, as with all things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Excellent. Well, Andy, I thought I would um, kick off with you because of a, a comment that you made in your sermon on Sunday that I thought was very interesting. Um, and while I just mentioned that fasting and feasting are two discrete disciplines, um, you made some interesting points, I think, that suggest um, there's an interesting, your term was strange mingling. And I was wondering if you could maybe make some overarching comments about fasting and feasting and, and why, in, in some respects, that coupling actually makes a terrific amount of sense, even though it would seem, they would seem to be diametrically opposed. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, the, I mean, you can kind of see this uh, in the the church calendar itself. Like I know at IPC, we don't adhere like really, really closely to the whole liturgical church calendar. But um, in many traditions, um, you know, these, there are feast days, um, St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> what could be a bigger feast? Maybe, maybe uh, the day before Lent starts is the is the is the only bigger feast, uh, at least popularly. There's all these times of feasting, and then there are times of fasting. And actually, um, Lent and Mardi Gras or Shrove Tuesday is a, an interesting example too, right? I mean, it kind of happened popularly that everybody was like, "Oh man, we're gonna have to like give up meat and like." delicious things for the next 40 days, maybe we should just pig out here on Tuesday, right? And, uh, and pig out they have, of course. And, um, but you know, like even, even though there are obviously excesses in that kind of feast and it's not, is it really a Christian feast? I don't know. Uh, you can see the dynamic of there are, there, there to everything, there is a season. Um, you might say a time to feast and a time to fast. Right. And, uh, in, in my, my tradition, um, which is uh, uh, Presbyterian and kind of rooted in the Scottish Reformation, there was a, a sort of a, an emphasis on the fact that Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day of Jesus's resurrection, uh, is, is the Christian feast. And it happens 52 times a year, every week, right? And... Uh, so even in, in really strict Presbyterian traditions where they might be like, we're not going to practice Lent, we're not going to even do Christmas, those things are just made up and st stuck on the calendar at certain times. We're just going to do Sunday to Sunday. Um, there was still this sense, I think, like I said, when we covered Sabbath, that Sunday was the market day of the soul. It was the day where you feasted um, together as God's people. And... Um, yeah, so I, th I think that these two naturally go together because they are embodied experiences of spirituality. In the, it's maybe easier to think of fasting as like, oh, this is a spiritual practice. I'm connecting my body to my spirit and I'm entering into like the experience of Jesus, for example, as he went into the desert. Um, but you, we have to remember also that Jesus feasted. And in fact, he was scolded by people for his feasting. Uh, people have said that Jesus eats his way through Luke's gospel, for example, and he's always at a meal, he's on his way to a meal, or he is just coming from a meal. And everything happens in these 
feasting occasions, and he gets into lots of trouble as a result. So Jesus is a feaster and a faster. Um, and so if we're going to follow Jesus, then there should be times for both of those kinds of spiritual seasons in our lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I think that's, and then, you know, your points are really interesting because they built, I know that we had previously spoken about kind of that kind of tenuous balance between being and doing. And I know, Sam, that you had talked about that, you know, quite extensively in terms of, I think there is this habituated way we kind of rely on the checklists, right? And and if we see the doing, we certainly are hopeful that the being will follow. And I was looking for biblical references of fasting and I came across in Psalm 69, I humbled my soul with fasting. And one of the reasons why I love that line is it kind of bridges that doing and being as well. And I didn't know, Sam, if you had any reflections on fasting as that kind of bridging of the doing and being, because again, I, I think there are a lot of kind of cautionary messages about, you know, when you do something like fasting, you don't broadcast it. You don't make this kind of look at me, you know, I've martyred myself. I'm not going to eat chocolate for, you know, 10 weeks or whatever. Um, You know, and there is that tendency, I think, because it's, discomforting, right? And people kind of perhaps are very dependent on some kind of acknowledgement and so on. So to fast quietly um, and to kind of humble one's soul through that process perhaps is, is a more profound fast than perhaps what we normally associate with the act of fasting. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah, I, I'm sort of smirking here for those who are listening, you know, <laughs> The, the, the Psalm 69 reference is, of course, a good one because this is much of what we're talking about with, with fasting is, is taking a stance of humility before God. Um, as I think as Andy mentioned in a sermon a couple of weeks ago, it's sort of when we choose to fast, we're aligning our heart with God for the things that break his heart to be aware of these things. And, you know, it's funny. I come from, Andy mentioned his tradition. I come from a very low church evangelical tradition. And so I had never even really known about Lent or fasting until I got to the Bible college or the Christian college where I went. And it was like this question that came up every spring. What are you giving up for Lent? (laughs) I'm not giving up anything for Lent. I have no idea why I knew to do that thing. But in, in, in students, these young, you know, pious Christians would, would sort of wear it as a badge of honor, right? I'm giving up this for Lent. I'm giving up coffee. I'm giving up soda. I'm giving up chocolate. I'm giving up whatever it was. And we can talk about this more when it relates to fasting, but you know, half of the things were essentially either money saving tactics or dieting tactics, Mm -hmm. right? I'm giving up Starbucks. Well, that's because you're spending so much on lattes. You just think it would be good for your wallet. You know, well, I'm giving up fast food. I'm giving up fried food. Well, that's because you probably gained a few pounds this winter, you know, and, and while those are inherently good things, it's very important for us to remember the biblical foundation of fasting before we seek to practice fasting. Mm. And even Jesus, of course, mentions it exactly as you just said in Matthew 6, where he says, don't be like those people who intentionally make their faces look so sad when they're Mm. fasting so that everyone knows, right? Don't be like those people who advertise it or ask that question. Hey, what are you giving up for Lent? You know, Um, or the first, it's, it's sort of like, there's a running joke about, and if you do CrossFit, I'm sorry, but um, there's a running joke about people who do CrossFit. And, and I've heard people say this, you know, that if, if you have a friend that does CrossFit, it only takes about five minutes for you to hear about it to, for them to remind you that, Oh, they do CrossFit. Oh, last week when I was at CrossFit. Oh, when, and, or, or if someone's running a marathon, right? Oh, I'm training for a marathon. Oh, I'm, you know, whatever it is. And it's sort of what we do with fasting. You know, when we, when we finally, gear up enough, um, which again is the being versus doing. We finally feel like we can achieve something and we finally have disciplined ourselves enough to fast that we're advertising it and we're doing it for some sort of selfish motive, whether it be a, a monetary gain or savings or dietary or something else. And, uh, and I think that the humility thing you mentioned, especially in the Psalms, is, is that perfect place to begin when we talk about fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the purpose and what is the status of our heart and our soul before God? Is it a humble one or a prideful one? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I definitely see that. I think fasting and feasting, of course, have a direct correlation to this idea of simply being and trusting God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's really helpful. And I, you know, I, 
I'm intrigued though, vis-a-vis -vis both of you more personally, have, is there any experience of fasting either of you have had that you would like to share? I mean, it is interesting. I, I do know almost without exception, um, you know, if I ask people that question, they have fasted um, and, and recounted as an incredibly powerful and necessary um, experience in some respects. So, you know, and again, I think some people pursue it as a ritual, but it, there is kind of a colleague of mine refers it to, as she said, every year I need to repot the plant, right? And so fasting is her attempt to repot the plant, right? Um, which is just a nice image and, and kind of, she does fast around springtime. So I, I thought it was kind of a nice way of looking at that in terms of her faith and so on. But Andy, do you have any kind of personal anecdotes um, around fasting? Yeah, um, I've got to tell you that I don't know if I have ever done a really actually spiritual fast before. I have, mm -hmm. during Lent, I have abstained, actually this, this, uh, this book that I just read on fasting kind of makes a really big distinction between abstinence from things and fasting, which is abstinence from food and, and perhaps mm -hmm. uh, drink as well. And um, I've abstained from things like coffee during Lent. I remember Ellie and I were dating at the time and that was the stupidest 40 days of my life. Uh, and when I was done with it, I was just like, what was the point of that? I was just tired the, for, for seven weeks. And Jesus was not honored and glorified through that. Um, and, and I came away with it from it, like thinking, like, if I do something again for Lent, I'm going to have to figure out how to make it a little bit more God oriented because this was just biochemical and, uh, and not very, very good. Now, on the other hand, I have done, I have done some pretty intense fasts for health purposes. Um, I've done uh, two week fasts where I've done nothing but um, juice before and uh, like fresh, fresh uh, pressed juices. And, um, again, didn't do it for spiritual purposes, but just as kind of like a detox. And then inevitably you do lose weight. And then as you ease back into solid food, you know, you try to start eating much more fruits and vegetables rather than just processed stuff. And I've had really good experiences with, with those things from a, oh, wow, I can't believe how disinterested I am in stuffing my face with potato chips after all, like maybe, maybe I can be a healthy person actually. Um, but those weren't particularly spiritual either. I didn't even do them for a spiritual purpose. So it's a little bit strange that I've tried a Lenten abstinence thing and I've tried a, um, a physical fast and had physical success with it. But I can tell you, I don't know that I've really ever had a meaningful, um, fast from a spiritual perspective. So, mm -hmm. but now that I've mm -hmm. preached on it and we're doing a podcast on it and it's Sam's about to tell us how it really should work. Um, I'm all ears because, because I I'm convinced that it's something that, that, uh, should be a, a regular part of my life. Hey, this is Andy here again. Uh, just interrupting this recording to say that on the day that we recorded this conversation, I found out that, uh, a man and a woman from my old church were uh, were killed in a violent um, gun attack in their home, along with two of their grandchildren. And so my heart was just heavy and grieving over that. And I thought, well, this is not the opportunity that I was hoping for to experience a spiritual fast as I align my own heart with the grief of God. But um, it was pretty obvious that that was what I was supposed to do. So now I can say actually that I have had a, an experience with a fast like the one I described in my sermon and God met me in that grief. And so I can testify to his goodness in that respect. So there's a little update for you. Although your comments kind of built on Sam's comments. I mean, I, I, I suspect that most people, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, but most people probably fall in the categories that Andy has just articulated. Right. In my experience, I think yeah. that's mostly true. And it was, to be fair, it was mine as well for a long time. 
um, until I was really challenged. So um, I, I, I have a good story and a bad story to share. Uh, and let me just say for the record, I hate fasting. I love the spiritual disciplines. I love the practice of the spiritual disciplines. I've studied them. I've intentionally entered into them and I hate fasting. And as Andy said, not abstaining. I think it's important to be able to abstain from things, but actual, the, the baseline definition of fasting, of cutting out food for, for spiritual purpose to align our hearts with God is very difficult for me. I love food. I love eating. Um, anyways, I could go into that, but that's, that's my own issue. So, um, let me say this. When I first exposed myself to fasting, I remember, um, it was not in a Lenten season, but in a season of discernment. So I was looking for some sort of answer from God. And I was counseled, I think wisely at the time to practice fasting. And then the idea there is that you fast. And then whenever you feel a hunger pain, I fasted for kind of sun up to sundown for a week, I think. And, um, you know, so I'd wake up early, have a breakfast and then go through my day, you know, just drinking water all day. And then after sundown, then I'd, then I'd eat again. And the whole goal was throughout the day, when you feel a hunger pain, when you have a craving, when you have a desire, go to the Lord in prayer, go to the Lord in prayer for a specific issue, for a specific desire, for whatever it is you're seeking discernment on, um, which wasn't bad counsel. And it actually can be a very, very good practice. But in that moment, um, and I, at, at the moment, I probably didn't see it, but after the fact, I realized that in, in a way I was sort of treating God like a genie thinking, okay, God, I'm going to go through this motion. Um, I'm going to tough it out. I'm going to slog it out. I'm going to do whatever I have to do, but you're going to give me an answer at the end of this week. You're going to make it clear. You know, even if you have to handwrite a note and sign your name with the note, <laughs> with a notarized signature, you're going to, you're going to make this clear. And um, at the end of that week, it didn't happen as I had hoped. And I left and I was disappointed. And, and I realized even in that, I think I was following the letter of the law to fast trying to align my heart with God, um, not eating, um, entering into prayer, these sorts of things. But the, the, where my heart really was, was in a place of pride, mm-hmm. right? It's still the transactional relationship that so many of us wrestle through with God. I give you this, you do this for me, God. Mm-hmm. And then a second experience that happened that was much more beneficial was actually before my wife and I came to Switzerland. I had, um, I was studying these things in seminary, studying spiritual disciplines and was um, talking with a, an Orthodox priest about fasting and the purpose of fasting. And he was one of my professors. He's actually a phenomenally interesting guy, Orthodox priest and a uh, physicist and wow. just, a, just a phenomenal, phenomenal man. And talking with him about fasting and what this looks like. And he really encouraged me um, in this season of my life where we were unsure about what was next. Uh, I had left my previous job before being at IPC and my wife and I were considering leaving Denver, Colorado. And there was just a lot of questions in life. And oftentimes when we're in those situations, things just feel different and hard in, in a lot of ways. And so we decided to try fasting, but it wasn't necessarily to get an answer for any specific period of time. It was that we would draw closer to God. And so practically what we decided to do was a similar son, cause this is what I had done before sun up to sundown fast every single Monday. And so we would wake up early, we would have breakfast and then we would fast throughout our work days. Uh, and then at the end of the day, I'd actually pick her up from work and we'd go for a walk right around the time of sunset, talk about our day, talk about what God was doing. If it was a good day, if it was a bad day, if we felt closer to God, if we were angry with God, if we were just playing hungry, whatever it was, uh, we would end our day with prayer and then have dinner together. And at the time, I think, we wanted some sort of spiritual revelation of what God was going to do. But in hindsight, now I look back and I'm able to see that in a difficult time, fasting really brought my wife and I closer together Mm -hmm. and it brought us closer to God. And so in many ways, it's not about, in my opinion, and in my experience, it's not about the result or God answering something. It's not about going to God saying, I'm going to do this. You give me this. When we talk about drawing or aligning our heart with God, what we're talking about is in difficult seasons or in just any season of life, um, being able to take time and take things from our life that we really take for granted exactly. and resting with God. Uh, and, it, and I hope those two contrasts really make, make sense to people as they hear it, because I know it's a bit long winded, but I think it helps me. 
And, and when I look at that, of course I lived it, but um, it's, it's really truly for the process of drawing nearer to God mm-hmm. in the state of humility, as you mentioned, as the psalmist writes in Psalm 69. Right. Exactly. Well, and it, and it, it, you've raised, both of you have raised kind of two themes, right? Is, is that in the process or act of fasting, it kind of perhaps makes more apparent to us or reveals the things that control us that we may not be conscious of. And it also is kind of sanctifying the ordinary, right? I mean, to some extent. I mean, we we spend so little time, in my mind, being present to the moments of the day, right? And And I think the act of fasting, simply because so much of the day is kind of engineered around meals, right? I mean, we, we, we kind of are on automatic pilot breakfast, lunch, dinner, etc. And there may not be much consciousness to that. But when you eliminate a given, right, you're opening up also time and space and thoughtfulness and prayer, right, that, that may not exist. So I think it's a very interesting, I don't know, I, th- I think it's almost the challenge, as you said, I think Sam is getting out of the transactional because it's just too tempting, right? Because I think we live in a world, I think, frankly, much of our life is around the before and the after, right? If I do this, this is the consequence. Or if I make these plans, this is the outcome. So we're, we're kind of tethered to that assembly line of expectation, right? And I think if we can, you know, kind of sever that, those expectations, I think it brings us into the present, in a way that that you know has more kind of depth and a sanctification perhaps more right simply because we're not in that doing doing mode so i think both of your examples is you know are just very very interesting and again i think the other tricky thing is that because our lives are structured around these rituals i do know i remember once being invited to a a dinner party it was kind of a group i think we were all students at the time and somebody was fasting and it was quite interesting because I could tell he just didn't want to talk about it but you know here we were we had all brought our little Tupperware containers right and everyone's opening them up so here we were in kind of a a potluck feast and he's fasting right and so of course the poor guy we're all asking questions you know what's your intention how long have you been fasting are you sure you can't just have a little how about a little juice a little wine you know and just the whole evening as we're preparing and i thought what was that about right i think there was also maybe a sense of intrigue and envy almost right because we were kind of falling into the habit and he was doing something else in the midst of that habit. So, of course, the contrast was was quite extreme. Um, but again, going back to your point, and I can't recall, unfortunately, Sam, the biblical, um, was it Mark that said, you know, don't kind of display this, um, don't look for credit? That's um, in Matthew 6, it's in the Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. Um, and he, I'm sure, had no intention. He did not want it, but we were kind of, cajoling him into saying, you know, why, how, when, et cetera. Um, and, and so sometimes I think the lack of respect, you know, that, that can sometimes be in that, that sense of group think, right. We're all kind of sitting down. So that was quite interesting, but that, that may be kind of a nice segue for us into feasting, right. Because I think we often talk about breaking a fast with some kind of rejoicing or feasting and, and so on. And, you know, to your earlier points, Andy, about kind of the, the, the interesting symmetry, right, in terms of how the, even the calendar year is, is kind of structured. Um, and and I, I guess the reason why I'm so intrigued by feasting is the comments you both shared about that sense of joy that we sometimes kind of forget, um, particularly when we were talking about the Sabbath, right? I think we just, there's a certain assumption of of somberness and so on but it's also a a feasting and a joy and i mean i think frankly and you know i I don't think i'm alone in this with covid right i think the feasting has seemed quite quite um that has been missed um profoundly right the hospitality the sense of inviting people over for meals um that that sense of of community and connection and so on so again you know, like many of the disciplines, it's not the discipline in and of itself, it's where that discipline takes you, or the mindset that it invites, or the the kind of engagement or the depth, you know, the, the journey that you travel. And again, I would love just to hear your reflections on 
feasting, particularly at this time, and and any perhaps insights you might have for, um, you know, folks listening in terms of you know how to kind of come to terms with that absence, which I think has has been very disconcerting and very painful for a lot of people. Um, I don't know if you want to kick us off, Andy, on that. You know, the COVID challenge and and the notion of feasting and do we need to reframe it? Um, um, or perhaps are we limiting our own opportunities for feasting by, by perhaps being too rigid in, in how we think about feasting? I mean, I think you've put your finger on the fact that it is a thing that we are missing so much. And it's to be grieved, I think, that we haven't been able to break bread together as a community, um, even to, for goodness sake, when we're in, in church together and we do the Lord's Supper, I've got to put these stupid latex gloves on my big old hands. And I spend, I spend the whole like, you know, prayer and hymn beforehand trying to pull them down over my hand so that I can drop them into people's open hands without touching them. It's just such a, a, a shame. It's, it's really heartbreaking. Um, yeah. Uh, gosh, what to say about this? Um, feasting is, is um, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And when you can't do that with other people that long for a foretaste of the feast to come, then it, it really can disintegrate community very fast. I was thinking even of our church council, um, we, we usually meet, the, what is it, the second Tuesday of every month in the evening at 7 p.m., and because it's at 7 p.m., we always share a meal together, right? We haven't had a meal together as a church council for a year and change. And yeah. what have we lost in the process of that? Um, you know, we get on Zoom together and I'm like, well, it's seven o'clock. My family's eating. I'm going to eat my, my pizza for goodness sake. And then I look like an idiot <laughs> in front of the rest of the people. <laughs> what are you not taking our meeting seriously? You're eating. At least this is the head game that I'm playing with myself. Right. But it's just so it's so sad. And, and I think it really needs to be grieved. And um, I don't really know what else to say about that, except for that there is a spiritual loss. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I I can't agree with you more, Andy. And this is coming from someone who, you know, I tend to be more on the introverted side. And sometimes I need a little help with my social calendar um, from my wonderful wife to, to plan things and to, to make these sorts of things. But when we look at this last year, I've had multiple conversations with, with people recently who have really shared the loss they felt over not being able to gather and feast together. And when I say feast, I don't mean, of course, as we think about as Americans, right? What is the, uh, the day before Lent called in America fat Tuesday, right? We're not talking about gluttony here. What we're talking about is celebration, right? And, and, and what's interesting about this too, is if you look, I, I would argue that this is of course, something we get from the very Lord himself, that, you know, all human cultures, if you look across history, have these sorts of practices where they gather together and feast. Just recently, I was watching the great old movie with Kevin Costner, Dances with Wolves, mm. you know, and they're, they're looking for the American bison to hunt. And when they finally find them, find the herds, they, they kill some bison and they have a huge celebration, right? This is a great feasting celebration. And this is something innate in all of us. And recently, we've all just been mourning this loss. We've all been just really sad at the fact that we cannot share our joys, you know, personally in our house, I feel for my wife. My wife is a, is a celebratory person and I love to celebrate her on her birthday. And this is the second year in a row now where all restaurants are closed for her birthday. And so she's stuck with my cooking and, <laughs> uh, or takeout, the best takeout option we can find. Right. Which is fine. Maybe you should propose a fast. So. Right. <laughs> I feel that would go poorly for me on a birthday. Um, but, you know, and it, it, you look at these things and we realize, okay, this is just food. Okay, this is, but it's what it represents inside of us. And it's, exactly. it's that desire for Thanksgiving. It is that desire to celebrate God's goodness and the joy of the Lord. Um, and, you know, there's lots to be said about, you know, our culture and living in the West and how our excess and everything. But getting past the, the circumstance or the superficiality of, of what people may think about when they think of feasting there's a deeper purpose. There's a deeper reflection of the image of God, of that joy he brings us. Mm -hmm. um, and much of that has, 
not been totally lost, but it's been something we've had to really work at, right? We try to set up intricate Zoom gatherings where we're having the same things, or we try to set up, you know, these, you know, things in the garden, praying for nice weather so someone can come over in the summertime and we can sit apart from each other, whatever it is. And I think Andy's right. Um, there's a loss right now among a lot of people with this. And um, it's something that I think is wise as we think about fe feasting to first, you know, look at this last year we've had and be able to really mourn the loss of these things um, and realize that in that mourning that this is something we, we, we can't take for granted. This is something we, we should cherish going forward for the opportunities we are given when they come. When we talk about... Um being engaged with our wider community and outreach and these kinds of things. I often ask people, you know, count up the number of meals that you have per week, right? You have roughly three meals a day times seven, uh, seven times three, I think is still 21 if I'm not mistaken. And so can you, can you figure out like what percentage of your 21 meals you want to do intentionally with other people? right? So that you break bread together. Um, food is literally your body healing itself, repairing itself, replenishing and rejuvenating itself. And so there's a reason why uh, food practices are always ritualized all over the world is because relationships are healed around the table as well. Um, I think it's um, Simon Sinek says that uh, before the, the pandemic, he used to say, Technology is great for maintaining relationships, but it's awful for building relationships. And therefore, the business lunch <laughs> and the business trip with the dinner of, of uh, you know, client and vendor will never, ever go away because you have to physically get around the table with each other and heal your bodies and, and clink your glasses and celebrate life. And it's really hard to be an adversary with someone that you have shared a festal gathering with. Um, so uh, I forget what was uh, what that was all about, except for to just say, yeah, it's it's just devastating the the season that we're in. And so I guess my my encouragement would be as as hopefully COVID time. I mean, there's there's no back to normal, everything will be a new normal, but hopefully within the new normal, we can be a little bit more intentional about, okay, there's 21 meals in a week. Could I have like two of them with a neighbor, a colleague, a friend, somebody that is a little bit lonely, somebody maybe that is single or lives alone? Um, my family has, has still gotten to eat around a table all year. And in a sense, we've been able to have these little rituals. Everyone, uh, has had a birthday with at least four people at their party, right? But um, can we look out for, for people that need the, not just the physical reparation of their body, but the, the spiritual and social reintegration of their lives um, that happens when people sit down at a table together? I think it's incumbent upon us as Christians. We are supposed to be a festal people. And... Um, and we need to get around the table with people. Uh, one other observation too that links, I just thought of this, that links uh, feasting and fasting. Um, Sam also really loves the desert fathers and mothers. And um, my understanding is that the rule right from the beginning of the ancient monasteries is that of course they were fasting all the time. Like they did tons of fasts together. So there were tons of meals that they were um, omitting on purpose as communities. But the rule was always, if some stranger shows up at your monastery, you break your fast in order to show hospitality to them. Because it is more holy to break your spiritual fast in community and to celebrate that this person has made it to your monastery safely. And now you're going to roll out the welcome wagon and break bread with them to give them the, the, the sense of feasting and healing, uh, that they need. Uh, it's incumbent upon you as a Christian to show that kind of hospitality. Mm -hmm. So there's just a smattering of things to think about as we, as we try to re-spiritualize our meals. Right. Exactly. And it's interesting because I, this this comment I'm about to make is is kind of a bridging comment from two things that you both said, but and I can't remember the source, but I was reading about feasting, and it said it 
serves to prevent us from taking ourselves too seriously. And I, and I thought that was really true too, right? I mean, we are living in such isolation. And what are we thinking about? Getting those latex gloves on. You know, it it doesn't feel like a natural um, extension of why we're here, right? It, it, so all this time that we've had, on, on the one hand, people have talked about, and I've seen it in clients, right? I've done much more reflection, Tabby, about, you know, my priorities, et cetera, et cetera, which is very good. But so much of those reflections kind of get nurtured and nourished through encounters with other people, right? We need sounding boards. We need um, people that will challenge us and so forth. So that isolation can, on the one hand, free up some perhaps time for reflection. But over time, I think it becomes debilitating because we need the outlet of connection and intimacy, right? And joy. And that's just very difficult to manufacture. I mean, one of the things I've noticed in my own um, kind of behavior, I live in a building, there are four apartments and we're all quite close, but I find that I'm spending a lot of time thinking about excuses to leave things outside of people's doors, just as a way of saying, so I found out that my neighbors, well, they have two little girls and one of them broke her shoulder blade or something, it was skiing. So I thought, okay, what would I, what did I used to do if I broke a limb and I used to like to draw. So I gave her, and I, I spent a lot of time just wrapping it up because I had the time. And her mother wrote, she said, Tabby, that was so nice, but it was completely unnecessary. I said, oh no, it was very necessary. I just miss seeing her. You know, we often would chat and um, I said, it just, you know, I just, it felt good to just, you know, let, let Louise know that, you know, I'm still upstairs and so forth. But so I realized that that's just a gesture, right? I think we're hungry for that connection. So we're almost trying to create opportunities for some kind of encounter. Um, I know that I spend a long time in shops now if I'm talking with somebody that works there, you know, and, and I wasn't spending as much time. So I'm not saying it's it, these are negative consequences, but I think it reinforces the preciousness of what we are now missing. And I do hope that when we're finally able to reconnect, that celebration has so many layers to it, right? Because it's not just a moment in time, it's it's kind of a reaffirmation of um, what we have lost and yet what we did have, but perhaps weren't appreciating sufficiently. Um, so it's just a, I think the notion of how can we have even small gestures of feasting in the absence, as you said, Andy, of, you know, coming together as an IP, PC family, for example. I mean, even the notion of going, you know, registering for the in-person service, but not being able to sing, right? And it's one of the reasons why I haven't signed up because I love to sing. So I can belt it out in my apartment. And I just, it didn't feel authentic to me, right? To not be able to sing, because to me, that is a feasting too. You know, as you said, right? It's it's the arts, it's it's going to a museum, it's, you know, it's just the visual and and social stimulation so it's uh i think it's it will be a difficult you know it'll be an interesting and awkward transition back to that again because i think we're all a little bit out of practice yeah uh, thanks for sharing that tabby i think i think it's really interesting when we think about this because as we as we think about the things we've lost we're also given the gift to recalibrate a little bit right mm -hmm. to refocus in in some ways and sure we know okay when easter comes around we should pray before we have the big lamb meal and you know the big the big meal or we should give give thanks to the lord before we eat all kinds of easter chocolate or something uh same same thing at christmas right oh we should probably say a prayer thanking jesus for christmas before we open the presents or before the big christmas dinner okay but when i think about this one of the things you know as it relates to feasting and fasting and aligning our hearts with god and this is a spiritual discipline still one of the things that strikes me and especially as you were just saying that was that while we're mourning the loss of some of these things, my hope, I think, is that many of us, myself included, would be able to recalibrate and um, be able to live in the moment more, as we talked about, but also be able to live in the moment with the spirit of Thanksgiving, to be able to find this almost like super spiritual, mystical, I know some people don't like that word, but this balance of being thankful in the moment, this, mm -hmm. this, where we can make a barbecue with friends worship, 
because we just haven't had the chance to do this. You know, I think of um, these moments we have in the past where we go back and you sort of, maybe you look at photos or you think about a vacation where you just had one of those lazy summer afternoons in a garden barbecuing and you just filled with such joy. And we think my hope and prayer is that after all of this, when we think about feasting, um, gathering together, breaking bread together, that these times of difficulty and these times of sort of lean leanness the last year um, would lead us to an understanding, hopefully that we would be able to grow in people of, of thanks and thanksgiving and gratitude. Um, and remember that, that, that these things are, are indeed gifts from God as well. You know, Andy was right on with the, the monastic fathers and mothers who, who would break their fast to be with people. Um, that rule continued all the way into the middle ages um, with the Benedictine rule and all these things in the monastic tradition. And, and it was because there was a purpose behind all the things they did. And I think as Christians, you know, we sometimes forget the, the, the purpose of why we're doing or what we're doing, you know, to gather. Yes, of course there's food. Yes, of course it's wonderful and all these other things, but we're sharing life in these things. We're sharing life when it comes to feasting and, and we fast so that we would, in a weird way to connect the two again, we would, we fast so that in lieu of food, we would feast on the presence of the Lord, right? These two are so right. interconnected and that my heart, at least going forward. And I recently um, have been reaching out to more friends recently because I've just been longing for relationships in, in, in some ways that I've been missing in the last year is to think, Oh gosh, you know, and this is as simple and superficial as this sounds. I want to keep these familial relationships up. I want to keep contacting people. I want to keep calling and sending emails or notes to people. Even after all of this ends, I want to keep this appreciative spirit and thankful spirit um, that I've been learning this last year. And I, I think that's really, really tied into feasting. Uh, and, and, and what's amazing, and this is the last thing I'll say about this, is that scripturally, when we see these things with Israel and their feasts and their feast days and all of these things, it's not just for the people, but it's for the others to see the glory of God as well. The, the feast practices, the, the setting up the, the stone of remembrance for Joshua when they cross over into the promised land, these things of, of honoring and having a thankful heart is something that then leads not just us and our children and our generations to the Lord, but other people see these things as well. And so feasting is so near to the heart of God because God uses us in these ways to reveal his goodness to those who don't know him. And this, I think gets back to what Andy was saying about breaking bread as a way of outreach, as a way of mission, as a way of loving our neighbor. Uh, and so that's sort of my heart, I guess, for all of these things we're talking about right now. And I, I guess I just pray that these things would only continue all the more in me and then in the church at large. I, I had, I had one aha moment as Sam was speaking. Um, you know, it occurs to me at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, you know, of course he is baptized and then led out into the desert where he fasted and encountered evil uh, in face to face. And the, one of the temptations is, you know, turn this stone into bread. You don't need to fast. And Jesus says, we don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so he feasted on the Lord and his promises and his word, right? But he says, of course, man does not live on bread alone. He doesn't say man does not live on bread. We do live on bread, but not on bread alone and maybe not most fundamentally. So there's a point to fasting and that's to remember that we don't live on bread alone. But then at the end of his ministry, what, he's, what does he say? He says to his disciples, I have deeply desired to eat this meal, this Passover meal with you. Mm -hmm. So the, the end of his ministry is marked by a fast that, that people had been doing since the Exodus. And he deeply desired to eat that meal before mm -hmm. he went and accomplished the second exodus, right? And then he says, I won't, I won't eat and drink like this until we do it again in the great feast in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. So there's like, like Sam said, there's something right at the heart of God, um, right in the heart of Jesus, God made flesh that says, don't forget that God's promises and his word and his, and his 
speech of grace to us is super nourishing. And if you have to give up food for a little bit to remember that, great. And at the very same time, not only does, does food, it's not a necessary evil, but a, a, a blessed good. And it, it is the thing that, um, the feast is the thing that all of creation and redemption culminates in. Like we just can't forget that, that all of redemptive history ends in a feast in the wedding supper of the lamb it's called. Right. Um, so how, how beautiful to think that our simplest of meals, humble, a plate of spaghetti that you share with a friend, um, you know, the simplest of things mm-hmm. uh, is meant to be a foretaste of the feast to come where Jesus once again says, take and eat, you know, take and drink. I've longed to share this meal with you. We get to sort of play Jesus in those moments of hospitality when we break bread with others and just say, it's such a joy. I've been, I've been wanting to have you over for a long time. Uh, maybe that's a good thing to keep in mind as we start to be able to have people uh, over for humble meals, to not try to be fancy and not try to show off, mm-hmm. but to allow our, our hospitality to come from the heart and to fill other people's hearts uh, mm-hmm. as Jesus seeks to do as he feeds us on himself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, in a funny way, I had this odd thought as I was listening to both of you in some respects, right? This COVID period has been a fast unto itself, right? I mean, I think it really has kind of pivoted our attention in very challenging ways, but in some respects, I mean, and I, I think you both know how much I love this. I think it's Romans 12 too, this passage, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, right? Which is, I think, essentially kind of what the COVID time has been about. It's been taxing because of its duration, but maybe that's another way of perhaps reframing this period, right? Um, looking to other to God for a source of that nourishment um, in ways that we're normally perhaps not as immediately inclined simply because we've got all the trappings of comfort. And right now we have enormous constraints which may kind of trigger our spiritual imaginations, right? To say, you know, maybe this is an invitation that I've underestimated, um, but I think it's been tough, but, but maybe there is a gift in there, I think. Any, any closing comments? Or it's hard to believe that this is our last session. I've gotten quite used to this cadence. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry there aren't another six more disciplines we can add That's to. That's right. Sam would probably tell us that there are plenty more that we could talk about. <laughs> I was just gonna... <laughs> There's plenty of disciplines to talk about. The question is if anyone wants to hear us yes, talk that's about right. them. That's right. Well, but, you know, people, you can vote by sending Sam an email and saying, I want you, Sam to tell us about more disciplines. And exactly. then we'd be glad to get together and do this. So this has yeah, been I a mean, real joy for we me. Could, we could, yeah, we could spend time talking about a rule of life and how to set up our lives in a way that uh, models Christ with... Everything being intentional, right? To delve into First Thessalonians five that we would rejoice always and pray continually. I mean, we could spend an eternity yeah. talking about just how to pray continually. But it is it has been a joy for me too. These things are really near and dear to my heart, and I hope and pray that those of you who listen to these things would be encouraged. I, I'm encouraged just doing these talks and reminding myself of how beneficial is the wrong word because it, it again denotes a transaction of some kind, maybe in some ways, but. Um, how how much joy and fruit other fruit of the spirit these things can right. bring us um, and how the how god uses these things to bring the fruit of the spirit into our yeah. lives could i just say too um that sam thank you uh i know we tease you about you know you're the resident expert in the spiritual disciplines but it's 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 true and uh it's a real treasure and, and valuable for us to have you here and yet i was the one that was getting up in the pulpit and preaching these things uh, as a learner and so you've been really gracious to me and encouraging as i've done my study and then it's been so awesome to have your, the complementarity of your your wisdom on this uh in these talks so that's been a, a real treasure for us so thanks yeah thanks you're very welcome i think um yeah, if anyone's curious, um, I'd love to share more about my background and how I came to study these no. things in, in seminary and switch from 
a traditional study path, but it's, it, it was a joyful thing in my life and has enriched my own spiritual life and journey so much that, um, my hope, especially with these things, I'm going to get a little far afield here, but especially with these things that sometimes are seen as practices of different traditions, Mm -hmm. that as one church, as the church of Jesus Christ, that we can learn things from our Orthodox and Catholic and Jesuit brothers and sisters who these are much more ingrained in their history, but those who ident those of us who identify as Protestant or evangelical, um, that we must understand that, that, that we're all on the same team, essentially, and that we, um, we can all learn from one another. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, to me, is, I think, where this, so much of this joy comes from in my life, this ecclesial nature, this understanding of the church worldwide. Um, it just highlights these things and illuminates the love of God so much more. And so, um, for those of you who have been enjoying these, let us know. Let Andy and myself mm-hmm. know. Um, write a thank you note to Tabby. <laughs> it's, <laughs> no, just, it's been my it's been fun. Yeah. incredible thank you, Tabby. privilege and, and, you know, yeah. I, I'm, you know, to be in the presence of two experts. Um, I, I hope that my, my questions weren't too far afield. <laughs> so it's, no, it's, you're a, you're a wonderful host and, and you ask great questions and you're very provocative. And so, yeah, this has been a real joy. It would have been really boring if it was just me and Sam. You guys hear me and Sam all the time. So it's wonderful to have your voice in the conversation, Tabby. Yeah. It would have been a lot of long, awkward pauses between Andy and I too. So where do we go next? I've already gotten through my sermon notes. You've gotten through your sermon notes. That's right. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, do you want to close us in prayer? Me? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Uh, gracious God and Father, uh, it has been such a thrill to to really draw near to your heart this Lenten season and to learn together as a community, not really just these disciplines, but uh, these practices as opportunities yeah, to seek your heart. Um, we want to be women and men who are known as the seekers of your heart. And when we come into contact with your heart of love and grace and justice, uh, love and grace and justice end up spilling out of our lives where otherwise there would be uh, bitterness and anger and rage and all kinds of ugliness. So we pray that you would bear fruit through these uh, practices, these conversations, um, this process of renewal that we've been on during Lent and that it would bear fruit much longer than uh, just the duration of these conversations. And as we press into hopefully a post-COVID season of our lives in the near future, yeah, open our eyes to the way that we can touch the lives of others once our hearts are touched by the love of Christ afresh. Thanks for Sam and for Tabby and for our whole church family. And we ask that you would make these conversations uh, meaningful for everyone. We pray together with great joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.